Oh, man alive. We have got news to talk about on another edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz, your host as per usual. A friendly reminder, make sure that you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe to the show. Go back and listen to the last couple of episodes that we have done on the Major League Baseball owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association and what we're starting to delve into when it comes to these negotiations. Alongside me today is my good friend, the former director of operations for the Clinton Lumber Kings, joining me for the second time on the show from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Tyler Ullman. Tyler, we're recording this late on Wednesday night for a release on Thursday morning. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, news between baseball and everything going on right here in town right now has been pretty hectic. So it's kind of nice to just talk and focus them up on one thing for now. Yeah, for those that are in the Minneapolis area right now, obviously, please be safe, be conscientious. We obviously know that there's a big issue that is going on right now in Minneapolis, and that's not something that I really want to get into on this podcast. Uh, I want to talk about baseball because this is a baseball show. So it's funny enough that, you know, you and I were talking about this throughout the day, and you and I had actually had a phone conversation a little bit earlier in the day about what we thought was going to happen. And about maybe an hour ago, Max Scherzer who is one of the most well-compensated players in Major League Baseball and the Nationals players rep for the MLBPA tweeted out this statement. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I am glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. Why one tweet? sent by one player to me is so important is quite simply this, Tyro, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, but I want to hear your reaction to this. They are publicly calling the owners out on the BS. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's not just um, – it's got to be a guy like Max Scherzer, right? Because it's to some degree you don't listen to – trying to think of a no-name player right like a nick ahmed and no offense to nick ahmed he's a he's a solid player but you, you need someone who has that name notoriety and quite frankly with max scherzer being one of the highest paid players there is one of the best pitchers in baseball and coming off of a world series championship there's not very many players who are bigger right now in the sport than max scherzer um the only way I think this could get significantly larger is if that tweet was made by Mike Trout, who I think is pretty uh, even keel and I don't want to say neutral, but just low key by nature. Um, but to see this coming from uh, Max Scherzer of all players is incredibly significant because he has such a massive following that as soon as he puts it out there, this is a big deal. And like you said, he's the national player rep. I think he's even one of the, uh, exec 
board. I'm not sure exactly of how the uh, MLBPA is laid out, but I, I'm on the, an old article from uh, late of 2019 that lists him as an alternate MLBPA rep for everything, but it also has him listed as the team rep itself. So he's a significant player on, in all of this. He has all the information, probably definitely more information than we have because he's in on all these uh, conference calls and, and, and has the details that we're missing. But to the fact that he comes out publicly and says, hey, this is enough is enough. We're not going to talk about taking less pay considering we've already taken less pay um, is, is the thing. It's really, I think, the thing that the players even needed. So I found an interesting tweet that was, quote, tweeted from Shannon Dreyer, who is the pre- and post-game host for the Mariners on ESPN 710 Seattle, uh, somebody that I'm sure you've seen on Twitter through your times with the Lumber Kings as a Mariners affiliate. And she, quote, tweeted a man by the name of Eugene Friedman, who is a counsel to the president of the NATCA, which is the National Air Traffic Controllers Association, but he is also a contributor to baseball prospectus. So he quotes Scherzer's tweet. And I actually, before I get to this guy, Eugene Friedman's tweet, I want to read Jeff Passan's tweet, which was in response to Scherzer's. I I know that we're talking about a lot of tweets of tweets of tweets, but in today's world, yeah, exactly. This is how news is broken. Passan tweets, the Major League Baseball Players Association plans to send a proposal with economic terms to MLB by the end of the week. Sources familiar with the discussion told ESPN. As Max Scherzer tweeted, the players do not plan to make any salary concessions. Now, here is what this guy Eugene Friedman tweets, and this is a bit of a thread. And I don't know how credible this is, but it is worth thinking about. This disputes Jeff Passan reporting that there will be an economic proposal tomorrow. He's quoting Scherzer's tweet. Continues, it says, The players are not electing to reopen the March agreement. As I have been explaining, once covered by a CBA or an MOU, which has the same effect as a term CBA, a subject is foreclosed from from future bargaining unless reopened by mutual consent of the parties. That's why management said they wouldn't send their proposal until the union agreed to reopen. Unions said they'd only respond to a proposal and wouldn't agree to reopen. Basically, what I'm getting from this is that legally... The Players Association does not have to reopen negotiations in regards to salaries because they already agreed to it under a collectively bargained agreement. So basically, whether or not the MLB owners think they can get more or less out of the players, the players aren't budging because legally they don't need to. Yeah, no, um, you're you're right. The, 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 I think the, confusion i don't know confusion i guess the debate would be a better word is over what uh in the original agreement the language that says that uh if fans aren't going to be able to be allowed in the park the two sides will come together to negotiate in good faith for a plan um it's it's what is good faith um that's 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 the key whenever you see that in a an agreement that we will continue to negotiate in good faith okay well what does good faith mean um if you come back to a proposal with something I don't like, I'm not going to just agree to it because, hey, good faith, right? You know, um, 
I'm still, I'm going to negotiate with you. I think by, in my opinion, and I will fully admit I have a little bit biased uh, or a lot of bias to be favorable to the players, but in my opinion, by the Players Association even listening to two potential proposals from Major League Baseball ownership, uh, that's to me, that's good faith. Uh, I think the players had asked the ownership to um, uh, open the book so they could see what they're looking at because they off- MLB offered up the uh, revenue split. So the players are like, oh, okay, well, we'd like to see what your revenues really are. Um, and I think that's, to me, that shows good faith because they're like, okay, well, we'll entertain the idea but you have to show us this and major league baseball is like uh never mind we're gonna go to the sliding pay scale thing which severely cuts the top play, uh, paid players in baseball um and is ploy like we like you mentioned earlier on the phone uh, this afternoon that it was a ploy to help separate the uh unity that is currently in the players association um it, it seems to have not worked uh at, at at least at a glance, because uh, it sounds like the players are together stronger than ever. Um, uh, just <laughs> Max Scherzer's tweet is is great because he even puts out there, he's like, listen, I've talked to other people. It's not just me. This isn't just my opinion. People agree with me. Um, and if he's the player rep, the, the job of the, a team rep is to have a pulse and know what his teammates want, you know, and uh, – if he's out there making a statement, there's a reason for it. Max Scherzer, of all players, loves playing baseball more than anyone else. And if he's out there saying, you know what, we might just not play, it's probably there's probably a good reason for it. I know that you and I, when we discuss a lot of issues in baseball, it's in regards to minor league baseball. And when they had you on the show the first time, it was to discuss issues surrounding minor league baseball. But in this realm... Minor League Baseball and Major League Baseball are molding together, and here's why. John Fisher, the owner of the Oakland A's, is, per a tweet sent out by Eric Sim, and I'm sure that he has done the research on this, is the eighth richest owner in Major League Baseball. I had said on my previous episodes that he was worth $2.1 billion. That was from a research article that I found on Forbes. Sim says that it's $2.5 billion, but let's just be honest, Tyler. What's an extra $400 million to you or I? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, currently in the process of buying a house, so I feel like that could be helpful. <laughs> yes, it could. Sim also says that Marlins owner Bruce Sherman is net worth $550 million. Now, he is the principal owner. Everybody knows that Jeter is the front man and the chairman. Sherman's the principal owner. The Marlins are going to continue to pay their minor leaguers through the end of the season, or at least through the end of August. The Oakland A's made headlines two days ago by saying that they are not going to continue to pay their minor leaguers after May is done. And it would have cost the Oakland A's franchise just a little over $1 million to pay their 200 minor league baseball players $1,600 a month. And what I am looking at this, the more and more that I think about it, and being here in the Bay Area, John Fisher is going to be the public face of humiliation of the owners for acting as greedily as he did and basically saying, 
I want to save $1 million by not paying minor league baseball players. I want to save $1.2 million by stiffing the city of Oakland out of the lease money that we owe them for the Coliseum for this year. But in reality, even though the events of what we've seen happen with the A's over the last couple of days have come to public light, it's pretty clear to me that when we look at the negotiations between the owners and the players union, that there are a lot of owners, whether we know it or not, that have the same exact financial feelings as John Fisher. And to me, that is what the players are calling out ownership on. If you have a guy like John Fisher, who is the heir to the Gap Fortune, the Gap company where you probably got a bunch of your jeans or shirts back in the day, that's worth $2.5 billion and inherited most of his money, and he won't offer up a million dollars to make sure that his minor league players are taken care of. Oh, and by the way, they are still technically under contract, which means they can't file for unemployment. Yeah, it's the the situation with the A's is, is any way you look at it, not good. Um, the the players should have the freedom to to work where they want, do what they want, and to say they're still under contract and they're not going to get paid. I think most people would agree should be against the law. Um, not just a matter of ethics, not just a matter of how Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball players should operate. I think it probably should just be straight up illegal for anyone in any industry to do anything like that. Um, it's There's a lot of implications there. The whole antitrust labor laws, I, I am not a lawyer to be able to get into it, but just taking that at face value seems a little too it's it's really heavy like it just seems a little bit too close to i'll go ahead and say it it just seems like too close to slavery right like you know it, it's to make a a situation that is basically hey you work for us you have to continue to stay in shape and eat right and be ready to play at a moment's notice and be under our contract and can't take another job because you never know when you're going to have to come back to work for us and you can't file for unemployment but we're not going to pay you anything. Uh, that that's that's bad. That's there's. I don't think there's any way around that. We are here with Tyler Oman, my good friend and former director of operations with the Clinton Lumber Kings, here on MLB Morning Coffee, reacting to some late night news of what happened with the MLB Players Association's view of the latest proposal that was sent by Major League Baseball owners. So if the Players Association isn't going to back off on money, what are they going to concede on? Because it's pretty clear that the owners aren't just going to say, all right, well, we'll agree to prorated salaries like we did before, and everything else is all hunky-dory. Like, what is it going to take to get these two sides to agree. And I'm with you. I don't think the players should back off on this. And the minor league salary issue that we've talked about with the A's, it raises a good point. I think you and I may have been talking about this on the phone earlier today. You and I have seen countless numbers of players come through Clinton, and for me, Helena and Idaho Falls, that are not 
bonus babies, guys that signed for minimal and had to grind their way to get to the big leagues in order to earn the type of living that makes them secure for their immediate future and for some the rest of their lives. I understand why the players feel like they deserve all that's owed to them because they have had to grind through years of not making anything at all and not getting and and having to find another means of employment when you're not playing baseball because minor league baseball players are seasonal employees. So when I look at the player's stance and the fact that there is solidarity in regards to this sliding pay scale, I think that basically the players are going to hold the cards at the end of the day if baseball is going to be played, and if the owners don't concede, there isn't going to be baseball this year. Like It is totally fair, in my mind, for the players to act the way that they are because they have spent many years being the guys that have earned nothing. Yeah, and uh, to kind of go along on the topic, Ryan Divish in uh, Seattle reported that the Mariners general manager, Jerry DePoto, sent a letter to minor league players in the Mariners organization that they will be paid throughout the remainder of the year. But he also, uh, Divish also added that they also released about 30 players today, uh, which is enough for an entire affiliate of minor league baseball. Um, So obviously planning on not having a season, which I think most people are almost under the uh, assumption at this point um, that there won't be a minor league season, but still they're paying their players through the end of the year, but they're also getting rid of some players. So it's kind of a, Hey, this is the good press, but there's also a catch. Yeah. And I am also looking at what major league baseball is trying to do with minor league baseball contraction and they're throwing an even bigger middle finger to anybody that has a fringe chance at trying to make the majors. And you've got the draft coming up. And what are these guys going to sign for? If minor league players are not going to get paid by other organizations, and granted, not every organization, I believe that the Padres and the Marlins are two of the only organizations that have guaranteed to pay their minor leaguers through the rest of the year. Are guys going to sign? I don't think, I think you and I were talking about this earlier. I think there's a good amount of guys that get drafted that just decide, nope, I'm not going to sign. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're, if you are a top player, um, or even kind of close to a top player, and you are able to go to college for another year or even a year. You know, you could be a high school kid, but uh, you could go to college. Um, You could see yourself sign the next year for just as much uh, money again. Uh, But then again, will the draft look like it used to? Um, That's not a bet I don't know if you can make anymore, right? So if uh, minor league – affiliates go down next year um will the pay go back up will the bonuses go back up given that major league baseball has is going to lose a ton of money no matter what this year uh revenues are going to be down the payroll for major league players the free agent market is going to just completely crater next year um so if you're a player 
yeah, you could probably argue, I'm just going to go back to school so that way next year I can get drafted and get paid what I'm worth. But now that I'm thinking about it too, this way, are you going to be able to get all that much more? Um, are they going to increase the draft dollars next year back to a normal level? Or are they going to maybe increase them a little bit, but not quite where they were? You know, one of the things I was also thinking about when we're talking about, you know, the players unwillingness to budge on salary is people are going to say, well, the players make too much money and the players are, you know, being greedy, you know, major league baseball owners have profited off of the stardom of major league baseball players to put money in their own pocket. And guess how much of the revenues that the players have seen outside of their own contracts None, because baseball doesn't do revenue sharing with their players, unlike the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL, which do have revenue sharing with their players. So to me, if you're the Players Association, you go to Major League Baseball and say, we're not budging on this because you have profited off of us and we've seen none of it. I don't think the owners necessarily realize that they have the type of wealth that they do, at least in regards to their baseball operations, because of the players that they have put on the field. And those players, like, think about like a somebody like a Mike Trout. Like, Mike Trout's got one of the most popular jerseys. He's one of the most recognizable images in baseball. The Angels have profited immensely off of the likeness of, of Mike Trout so much to the point where I don't know if Trout will ever see the value of what he's generated on the merchandise market or any sort of marketing ploy that the angels have put out there to get people to come to the ballpark or buy season tickets. Yeah. The, uh, the people who side against the players, I will never understand. Well, I take that back. I used to be that way. Uh, as, as a kid, I did not know much about the whole how the whole system worked, right? You know, I was like, oh, the, these players are getting paid millions of dollars. That We could have a mansion with that. That would be amazing. They, they're being so greedy. Now I realize they've worked their whole lives for this money. Um, they've, uh, they are, their bosses, their pe- people paying them are worth just, astronomical amount more than what these guys are getting paid and to expect them to take a pay cut to someone who has the money uh is just it's unreasonable and to the people who always say you know play for the love of uh, play for the love of the game you know i would play for free if i had the opportunity you know what yeah i'd probably play a game in the big leagues for free but after spending several seasons in the minors um the season is a grind, man, you know, <laughs> to do 162 games the regular season plus the month and a half of spring training, well, really two months, I guess, but between when you report and game start. And then if you make the playoffs, sure, there's playoff revenue shares or shares for the players. But you, so really, if you're, you're a team who goes deep in the playoffs, you're pretty much working from February to late October, maybe November, depending on the, how the schedule falls, pretty much every day with – 20 off days. I'm not exactly sure on the exact number. I'm sorry it's for people who say, Oh, I'd play for free. No, you wouldn't. Um, it's <laughs> 162 game season at the major league level is a tough, tough thing to do. And um, I, I just, people just underestimate how much that is. And the, the, when they say, Oh, I'd pay for free it, they don't really realize what's, 
what all goes into being a professional baseball player every day. I'm here with Tyler Ullman, my former co-worker with the Clinton Lumber Kings here on MLB Morning Coffee. Tyler, one of the things that I was really happy to see is that based on what we've seen with Scherzer is that there is solidarity within the union. And the reason that I bring that up is that it was reported that based on the sliding pay scale, that those that made less than $2 million were going to end up getting around 45 to 40% of what they were actually owed. And most of the players, 65% of all players on 40-man rosters were making $2 million or less. And basically, what the sliding pay scale was meant to do was to divide the lesser-paid players and the superstars against each other. Because of the percentages. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it has actually unified them in knowing that they want to make sure that the strength of the union is kept together over bickering over who actually has a higher percentage of the money that is owed to them. And to me, that is a positive sign for the union and for the owners. It's a really devious ploy to try and break up a union. And I'm a pro-union guy. I know a lot of people out there, whether it be in professional sports or whatever industry they're in, a lot of people are anti-union. I think unions are good because they fight for the rights of workers. And basically, the owners, they don't have to agree to any sort of standards on pay, on benefits, etc., if there's no union. So basically, Major League Baseball was, in a sense, trying to use this to break up the union. Yeah, I agree. I think they were looking to split the union and put pressure on the union by like the fans who I was just talking about, the people who say they would play for free, or the people who don't realize that, yeah, the pay- players might get paid millions, but they're getting paid by a billionaire. Um, so, you know, why should these players take a cut to those guys um you're, you're exactly right the uh the other thing is i, I know i just kind of right before we came on there was the article that had just came out about all of this that even featured max scherzer's tweet by uh ken rosenthal and uh evan Drellitz and the athletic who apparently those two are just attached to the hip these days because it seems like every article that comes out was by those two together um with scherzer's tweet they report that there's going to be a proposal from the Players Association going back to Major League Baseball that would uh, basically say we're not going to take a pay any an additional pay cut, um, and uh, they apparently is probably going to be a hundred to hundred and ten game season that they are proposing back to Major League Baseball, um, which, according to this article, would be not a uh, thing that Major League Baseball ownership wants. Apparently they're looking for a shorter season because there's less vulnerable, less of a vulnerability to the owners of a uh, second wave of COVID-19 hitting. You know, if your game is going to be three weeks long or season is going to be three weeks longer, uh, there's three extra weeks that this could uh, just completely implode the entire season. Um, they, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but they, uh, also go on and, and basically say that their players are willing to do some deferrals 
and there might even be a case where players are like, okay, we'll get paid for 81 games, but we'll play 100 games, where it's at least they're taking a little bit of a, a pay cut, but they're getting paid their um, uh, full prorated, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but their full prorated uh, salaries for 81 games, and then uh, just saying, okay, well, the 100 games, we'll, we'll effectively play that for free. Um but it's interesting because I, I feel like MLB is not going to want to have anything to do with this. Everything they basically went back to the owners or something the owners aren't going to want. So I don't know. I'm less optimistic than I was that they're going to strike a deal. Uh, but at this point, I'm, I'd rather the players just say, you know what? It's not worth it. See, I feel like the owners would actually be okay with a 100-game proposal because you could maximize television revenue. Maybe what you're – maybe – so I have not read that article yet, but maybe they want a 100-game regular season and a 10-team playoff format instead of an 82-game regular season and a 14-team playoff format. I think the players don't want to devalue – the regular season. I know that you and I in the past have talked about how the wild card may devalue the regular season or not. I know you and I have had disagreements on that, but I don't, maybe I'm missing something here. Why do you feel like, or rather, why do the players feel like the owners wouldn't go for a hundred game season? Is it just because of the fact that they want to use that for an expanded playoffs, which are going to end up generating more revenue. I mean, I mean, heck, why, why am I even asking that question? It's Major League Baseball owners. Of course, it's going to generate more revenue as opposed to a longer regular season. Yeah, well, the, the, the one argument in this article is that a longer season would basically just make it more risky uh, in terms of the COVID-19 having a second wave and then completely destroying the whole thing. Um, if, if they, that's, that's going to be the, I think the worst disaster for any professional sports league at this point is if they start back up and then have to stop. Um, I think that's going to be a bigger blow than just not starting. Um, so I guess major league baseball ownership is looking at it as a risk that says if we start and have 82 games a or we um, that's going to be less risky than 100 to 110 games, which is an extra three weeks to a month, uh, depending on how they schedule those games. Um, and that's a lot to add in there. I mean, it's already May 28th. Um, it's going to be June in just a few days. Um, and the soonest they'd be able to play is early July. 100 game schedule takes you into October. Um, Expanded playoffs in baseball is not great. Um, for the most part, uh, you need lots and lots and lots of games to prove who is the better team. Um, I, I like with the the wild card games are an exception. They're they're basically a play in game for teams who didn't win their division. The um, short series at the beginning, I, I get, but I can also understand why people could want to have it at seven games. Um, but to let more teams in there is a huge risk to have a team who basically is a sub 500 club in the playoffs and winning it all. Um, if you look at other leagues, 
like the NHL, the NBA, and the NFL, there are more teams uh, in the playoffs. Like the NHL has like 16. Now they're doing 24, but that's a COVID thing. Uh, I don't know what the NBA status is, but I know they let like over half the league into their normal playoffs. But for those leagues, the better team wins a whopping percentage of the time. Uh, in baseball, in a seven-game series or a five-game series, uh, the better team does not always win. It, it's it's probably closer to maybe 55%. In other sports, it's probably 75%. And so having such a huge uh, playoff field would completely devalue the playoffs, in my opinion, uh, just because of the, the how baseball works, you know, like the – the Tigers were terrible last year and they still won what 40 something games, um, 50 game. I don't even remember how, how bad they were. The, the Marlins are, haven't been good. The Orioles have been really bad, but they still won uh, 40, 50 times. So if you let a team who is 75 wins into the playoffs, they could end up winning the whole thing just because they have a hot bat come off of the injured list at the right time, or they just happen to, have a couple pitchers who figure their curveball out in October. Um, I think it's a big risk. Uh, I know they want the, the extra playoff TV revenue because they make most of their TV revenue in the playoffs. Uh, but that's a big risk in terms of the actual quality of baseball. But as we talk about it, I'm not so sure that Major League Baseball ownership really truly cares about the actual quality of baseball. No, I totally agree with you. It's all about the revenue. It's all about maximizing the amount of revenue that you're going to get. And I think that when we talk about how far apart the owners and the players using the players union are are are, are on, on all of this, I honestly feel like there is a deadline for something to be agreed to. Because if you don't get the season started, by at latest, in my opinion, August 1st, you're not going to have enough of a season to where it's really going to matter. People are not going to have interest. I don't think you're going to get the same type of viewership that you would for a 100-game season or even an 82-game season. And you're doing damage to the sport that you may not be able to come back from. For you, what is the latest that a season can start for it to be deemed an acceptable year? Um, I don't know if it necessarily has to do with the latest they could start, but the number of games. I really think that 81, 82 is the minimum number of games they can play. Um, August 1st, I'm like, just kind of when you said that, I just kind of clicked the computer calendar and scrolled over to start like, man, how would they do that? I mean, talk about the baseball season normally being a marathon. This would be an all-out sprint right you know you're if you look at august 1st and you play let's say they play every day right or at least get one game per day whether it's they get an off day and double up on a saturday um if they're if they get 31 games in august and then 30 games in september (laughs) end of september they're only at 61 games and would have to then play another 20 uh games into october before even starting the playoffs uh i don't know if that's doable so I'm thinking mid-July 
would be July 15th, be 81, 82 games uh, would be the minimum that I could, I would think would be a, a good season. Um, I do not think you can go lower than 81 games. Uh, that's just like I was saying with the, the allowing the teams who are good to demonstrate that because that's how the sport works is that it's such a small difference over the course of a one or two games between a good team and a bad team or a good team and a great team. Though those teams don't separate themselves over a week and a half. Those teams separate themselves over months, a whole season. Um, if you, I mean, if you took the Washington nationals last year, and I know they had a whole 162, but if you took their start from the season, what they were 19 and 31 in May or by the end of May or something like that. Um, they don't make the playoffs in a season like this. <laughs> um, they probably finish under 500, uh, much less going to the win the whole world series. Uh, I, I just, I don't see a way that you can justify a legitimate baseball season lower than 81 games. And I, to me, I don't know if you can do that with starting after maybe July 15th. And I think that's pretty aggressive, um, aggressively late in the year. Um, August 1st would be tough. Um, I, I don't, I really don't like the idea of them that they tossed around about playing playoff games in neutral sites because of potential cold weather climates. Uh, that irks me. It's like, you know what, you, you put these teams in these cities, you know, make it work. Um, and I should not just me being in Minnesota. Uh, I think, I think it would be tremendous to see baseball in a very cold weather. They do it every year in the Midwest league, uh, as you and I very well know from experience, uh, a 40 degree, uh, first pitch temperature in April does not end the game when the sun goes down at 40 degrees. I can tell you that. And I think these guys can do it. Um, but I, I, I just going off base a little bit to your question. I just, I can't imagine a season being less than 81 games. And if, August 1st was your date. I'd probably pick July 15th just to get those extra couple of weeks in. I honestly don't think that any baseball season is going to be viewed as totally legitimate in the eyes of the baseball purist or really the normal baseball fan. I don't think that if you have a season that's 82 games, that whoever wins the World Series I don't feel like anybody is going to really hold them as a quote-unquote true World Series champion. They'll obviously go down that way in the record books, but basically any semblance of a season is meant to try and return the country to a sense of normalcy and to minimize the losses of the owners and the players financially. Which brings up another question. I had heard a couple of things that based on the economics of not having fans that some believe, and granted, we don't have the financials of the owners, so we don't know this for sure, but some believe that owners are going to profit more or rather lose less with no season than actually having a season. Do you maybe feel like the owners are putting these terms in such a distasteful way to the players that they're almost hoping that a season doesn't happen? I, I don't know. It, it, knowing how much these guys 
uh, the owners of the major league teams truly have monetarily. Uh, like they're so they they're so rich. I I find it hard to believe that these billion dollar TV contracts that some of these teams have signed uh, will cost them money. Um, the league, according to uh, is it Forbes, estimated to have made $10.6 billion in revenue last year. Uh, surely that money can be a bit of a safety net. Um, and that's that's the thing that really bugs me. It's like if they lose money overall, if they come up in the red this year, um, that's the risk of owning a business. Um, you might lose money. Sports is not or should not be considered a fail-safe way to guarantee yourself to make money. Um, business is conducted to make money, yeah, but every business, a Domino's down the street or a local mom-and-pop shop just around the block has a chance to lose money of any given year, especially in a year with this going on, uh, the COVID. Um, Major League Baseball should not be an exception just because they're Major League Baseball. Uh they, a lot of people mention that they do side with the owners because they have the right to make money. They're a business. And yeah, they, they do, but their businesses also have the right to lose money. And if they didn't put a little nest egg away just in case of a rainy day, that shouldn't be the faults of the players. Um, you know, someone had pointed out the about Wimbledon. I don't know if you heard about the uh, Wimbledon tennis tournament in um, the UK, but they've been paying $2 million in pandemic insurance every single year for the last like 20 years. Um, and some people kind of scoffed at that. And now all of a sudden Wimbledon's going to be canceled and Wimbledon, the tournament's going to make $141 million off of their insurance policy. Um, Major League Baseball could have done the same thing. Yet here we are because they didn't have the foresight and that's, if you want me to get off on another tangent, uh, talk about the owner's lack of foresight. But they, owning a business is a risk, and that's one that owners should have to accept. As we wrap it up here, Tyler, you told me in a text message, and then you tweeted, I want to see chaos. What do you, because honestly, that's what I want to see as well. I, I need some form of entertainment in my life. I need to see something extreme happen that is going to rock my proverbial world. And in this negotiation, it may take something to the greatest of extremes to be able to either bring baseball back or to potentially kill it for the year. What is your definition of chaos? What is something that throughout all of this you might like to see. Huh. Well, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't know what chaos might be for me, but I, do, I do know that the, the players should not, and I don't think they will, based on what we're we're learning today, uh, back down. Um, I think Major League Baseball and ownership under Manfred, uh, their strategy has been always come in with hard and heavy negotiations and not back down until they get what they want. And even if they have to back off a little bit, they still kind of get what they want. Um, 
because, oh, you know, we'll come in asking for this. The players or whoever they're negotiating negotiating with will balk at that, and then all of a sudden Major League Baseball has the big stack of money to negotiate with, um, and uh, they end up winning somehow, some way. But I just really want to see someone stick it to the man that is Major League Baseball, and if the players can do that, that's fine. I will. I love baseball so much, and I would be t- – so deprived to not see baseball until next spring at the earliest. But if it means that the players can successfully stand up to these guys, I would be so happy for that. And I would, that would be fine. I would gladly make that trade any day of the week. Um, So I guess the answer is, I don't know what, what exactly that would be, but if they can just really stick it to them, then I am, I am 100% willing to make the sacrifice of not having any, um, Major League Baseball this year. Although I am a person who is lucky enough to actually have attended a Major League game this season. I did go to spring training in Florida this year, so I have seen several Major League Baseball games actually played in person. So um, I, uh, <laughs> I I would love to see the players win this one, even if it means sacrificing a season, because everyone knows that the CBA negotiations are coming up after next year. So this is going to be huge. And if the players don't back down now, um, I think they've got plenty of momentum going forward. Tyler Roman, a pleasure as always, my friend. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios here in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We will keep you updated as to further negotiations. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.